Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast. We're talking about uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the NASCAR Cup Series uh, this week on the Grip Strip Podcast. We're kind of going to do that and do recaps of the season uh, for all different series that we cover here on the GSP. We'll also talk about the 12 hours of Sebring uh, that took place this weekend, the Bahrain 8-hour, which finished the WEC season. And, uh, of course, the Turkish Grand Prix, which saw Lewis Hamilton become a seven-time world champion, tying Michael Schumacher on uh, Sunday. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Josh Fine. What's good, man? I'm doing great, Phil. Um, it's uh, kind of weird now that most of the racing is over, but, you know, we still got... Formula One, IMSA ended this weekend, but, you know, we still got a little bit of racing left uh, in this year. Yeah, we got a little bit of racing left. I mean, with everything that's going on with COVID and we'll still and what's still going on with COVID, um, which is going to definitely affect um, what goes on here um, into next year for sure. Um, but we'll probably get into that as uh, we get into this offseason. Um, before uh, we get into the Cup Series and what we thought of it and all the big players, good, bad, and ugly in that, we'll talk about Formula One first. It was the DHL Turkish Grand Prix at uh, the Istanbul Park Circuit. It was inner city Istanbul Park because uh, it's sponsored by somebody. Lewis Hamilton wins his... His 94th Formula One race uh, on Sunday. It is his 10th win of 2020. And it means that every year but one since 2014, he's won at least 10 races, uh, which is insane. Uh, His average start is 1.9 and his average finish is 1.9. Uh, he's been on the pole nine times out of the 14 races. He's podium 12 times and he's, he's got, he won the world championship. He, because Valtteri Bottas was, um, had a nightmare, uh, race at, uh, Turkey, at the Turkish Grand Prix yesterday. Sergio Perez finished second for, uh, tracing point after starting third and, Lewis Hamilton started sixth uh, after a crazy qualifying session on Saturday. Sebastian Vettel gets his first podium of the year uh, after starting 11th. Charlie Claire from 12th finished fourth. He was going to finish second. He blew it late there in the last lap. Carlos Sainz finished fifth. Max Verstappen sixth. Alexander Albon seventh. Lando Norris eighth. Lance Stroll won the pole. Um, yeah, Lance Stroll won the pole for this race. Yeah, it's hard for me to believe, too. Uh, he finished ninth, and Daniel Ricciardo finished 10th. Um, outside of that, the rest of the cars either um, were lapped or had some sort of issue. Grosjean and Latifi got into each other, and uh, they wrecked, and they both fell out. Giovinazzi had gearbox problems. Um there were a lot of different leaders. Stroll ended up 
uh, leading 32 laps of the race, which put him up to like third and of the all the drivers so far this year that have led laps, which tells you how dominant uh, the Mercedes team has been this year. And um, I mean, I guess the the takeaway, the thing we should talk about. I mean, you talk about goat discussions and uh, the, who was the best or different eras. But Lewis Hamilton, you know, his background and where he came from and what his parents had to sacrifice for him uh, to get to this, to get to where he got to being in Formula One and to have more wins than any driver in the history of the sport to win seven world championships, Josh. I mean, it's it's pretty insane. I mean, the sad thing is, will, will England, will the Queen, will they knight him? I don't understand why it's a question. He's one of the greatest sportsmen in the history of the country. Um, and he fits many, he hits many things that, uh, that would really truly be, would mean that he could be a knight. Um, if they're going to knight freaking guys like Nick Faldo or golfers and some of the other people, like you can knight Lewis Hamilton, but that's a separate discussion. I would assume for later, many years down the line, and it sounds like he's also coming back to Mercedes too. So that will, at least for another year, probably continue on this trend. Um, but what did you think of the uh, race and this whole weekend at a track that was definitely not suited for Formula One based on a repave, which is something we deal with here in the United States with um, NASCAR? and repaves it definitely didn't work out well with the tires and all kinds of other stuff but um what do you uh, take away from that that whole weekend well i think uh this grand prix was definitely one of the more chaotic grand prix that uh we witnessed this uh season in formula one and you know it was very wet the entire weekend um you know they said it could be slippery and definitely was i mean you saw some guys that were definitely looking like they were dirt tracking it, so to speak, uh, trying to make passes in, in certain corners. Like I think through the chicane, there is a highlight of uh, Lando Norris trying to make a pass, and like he was basically having to turn right to make the pass, and it was a, a left-hand turn, and it was you know having to drift and everything. And so you know it was it brought a, a little bit of a different element, and uh, I guess it was interesting to see. But I think like you said with Lance Stroll winning the pole. I don't think anybody foresaw that coming. Um, we've definitely said he's a, a driver that lacks a lot of talent, and he's only there because his dad pays the checks and all of that. But he's, uh, I guess, I mean, if he can win the pole like that, I mean, you have to give him a little bit of credit. And you know, every every once in a while, you know, a blind squirrel uh, will find a nut. So I guess that was the case for him there. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly what I said in the other chat about yeah. him getting the pole. Yeah, so it was, you know, definitely interesting, and I mean, nobody saw it coming, and, you know, he should have been able to at least get a podium if he led that many laps and just uh, didn't have it at the end, I guess, and they uh, messed up on the strategy for him there, but I think for his teammate also, Sergio Perez, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he kind of, his team kind of botched the strategy at the end, and 
cost him a podium finish and ended up finishing like fourth or something like that. And and uh, that was definitely like a missed opportunity for him. So this race, now that he finished in second and just barely finishing second over Sebastian Vettel, uh, who made his return back to the podium, uh, it it um, kind of makes up for that and um, gives him maybe a little bit more of a positive uh, result to uh, potentially end the season. And and certainly it'd be more memorable than that than, than what he had previously experienced with giving up a, a podium a uh, um, couple weeks ago. But uh, good. So it, I guess you could say that at least in this Grand Prix, uh, Racing Point kind of showed their, I guess, like their competitiveness that uh, people had talked about at the beginning of the season. And they have been competitive, but, you know, they've been off and on throughout the, the season. And, and they haven't been, you know, quite where maybe like, some of the uh, early season pundits would have said, and uh, I think I think uh, this shows that they can definitely uh, be competitive going into next season, and uh, with the lineup that they'll have, and uh, hopefully um, they continue to make gains uh, with with uh, their organization, and hopefully legally also, given the situation with uh, how they may have copied parts or whatnot. But um, I don't I don't think um, you know for Lewis Hamilton to win the way he did you know he didn't lead the most laps it wasn't the the most dominating win he was you know basically able to get there you know through strategy and you know his own his own ability which you know is still given credit for it but you know like i think we would have both thought that it was just been another lewis hamilton uh domination uh type of race and it wasn't that at all and you know he definitely had to work for this one and definitely had to work to get his seventh title and it's a, been a historical season for him, and he's, you know, made the career marks in both wins, and he's going to tie Michael Schumacher with the titles, and uh, definitely one for the ages, and you know, he'll be knighted eventually, I think, and, you know, it'll be like kind of like a Hall of Fame kind of honor, like a few years down the road, um, you know, once he's retired and everything, so that'll, that'll, that'll come, you know, don't don't worry about it now, but um, we'll see how that goes, and, uh, you know, it was uh, definitely a a uh, good win for him, but uh, on the other sa- side of things, like uh, Valtteri Bottas, you know, he spun out like six times during the race, at the beginning of the race and middle of the race and probably at the end of the race too. And he, uh, you know, if, if he was going to try to stop Lewis Hamilton from winning his seventh title, this was not the type of race he wanted from him. And to make that many mistakes shows, um, you know, he just didn't have the ability to win the title this year. And, and certainly, um, you know, he's able to give chance or, or able to give Lewis uh, a lot of uh, opportunities there to challenge him um, for wins and, and for the points lead. But ultimately, uh, kind of sums up why he's number two at Mercedes and, and why he'll continue to be number two there unless he decides to leave and go to another team. And, you know, I think I'll end my point with uh, Sebastian Vettel returning to the podium and he's struggled this entire season and you can tell his heart's not in it but hey he was able to get a, a third place so uh, not bad for him and it's uh, kind of kind of fitting that he's able to get back to finishing on the podium when Lewis Hamilton uh, wins his seventh title and kind of back to how it was in previous years where uh, Vettel was kind of second fiddle to Hamilton throughout the year and how they had been able to up until this season had been able to kind of challenge each other throughout the season and 
um, so I, th- I think it's it's uh, great that he was able to finish third, and, and maybe maybe he's still got something left in him uh, coming into next season as he moves on from Ferrari and goes to uh, Racing Point, and and maybe he can get some at least solid finishes there with uh, that team. Yeah, for Vettel to go and get that podium was a big deal, and there's definitely a lot of respect that Vettel and Hamilton have for one another because Hamilton was on the other end of it for many years while he was at McLaren while Vettel won for four consecutive world championships and was a dominant figure and basically got to, you know, 40-plus wins or whatever when he was at Red Bull. And uh, he's one of, I mean, he still is the third winningest driver in the history of Formula One. He has four world championships. There's not that... There's like Alan Prost as best four, and uh, you know, uh, the, 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 then you have Juan Manuel Fangio, and you have Senna, or not, I mean, you have and you have Schumacher and and Hamilton. So in in the stat, statistics category, Vettel is definitely up there in terms of his overall performance. I've said it on multiple in multiple places when Vettel crashed at. Uh, at uh, the German Grand Prix a few years ago at at uh, Hockenheim, um, when he crashed out of the lead from a guaranteed victory, and he would have increased his points lead on Lewis Hamilton and handed that race over to Lewis, uh, that was a turning point in the career for Sebastian Vettel, and he has never really been the same ever since. And Lewis has kind of taken, gone forward, and continued on this just upward trend of winning races and championships. It was a nightmare weekend. There was no traction, a lot of complaints. Uh, they decided to reseal the track a few weeks ago or something. And then Pirelli brought the hardest three compounds they had uh, because they were under the assumption they were going to be using a rough racetrack. Um, they get a billiard table, smooth racetrack, and they have hard tires. You can't switch them on. It was a nightmare. I mean, it definitely worked out terrible for Botas, as as Josh, as you said there. And, you know, some of these other uh, lower teams, they couldn't get anything going. You know, uh, Kimi Raikkonen couldn't get anything going. And he's a guy who's probably the most likely of anybody who could go and drive a loose uh, out oversteering race car. Uh, the car didn't have anything. And the AlphaTauri team had a great... Um, they they couldn't do anything in qualifying. They had had pace in practice, but then during the wet conditions, they had absolutely nothing. It was a nightmare for both Kvyat and Gasly. The Renault team was off this week compared to where they've been. Uh, this type of track probably doesn't suit their car, which is going to affect them in terms of the constructors' standings. I know, uh, Josh, you brought up like the bracing point right now they lost out on probably maximizing points, but getting a second place puts them ahead. And the second and ninth uh, with uh, the points they got there puts them in third or keeps them in third ahead of McLaren by five points. Renault is in fifth, but they are only six points ahead of Ferrari. So, I mean, everything else is basically determined to, the seven through ten is determined. First and second is determined. Uh, but 
after that, anything from third through sixth is all kind of to play for. It's 24 points between Racing Point and Ferrari uh, with three races to go. So Renault, you know, when they talk about the Roval track they're going to have in a few weeks' time at Bahrain, I think that might play in their favor. The next race at Bahrain probably plays more in the favor of McLaren. Uh, Ferrari's found pace here. Uh, there, so they could be in there too. So it's going to be the main, the main storyline is going to be the battle in the midfield between third and six and constructors. And then also second in the world championship. Um, Botas has a 27 point lead on Max for stopping, but it's still in play, uh, with some of the issues that Valtteri has had. Um, and then also fourth in the world championship driver's championship, because, uh, Sergio Perez currently is in fourth, but he's three points ahead of uh, Leclerc, four points ahead of Ricardo. And then you have another gap there with Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, and Alexander Albon. Uh, five points between those guys. And then Pierre Gasly brings up the top 10. He's got a four point lead on Lance Stroll. Uh, so, I mean, there's definitely battles within. Uh, that can be focused on people who want to say it's boring and they're going to focus on Lewis being up front. That's fine. But that's the reason why racing is how it, I mean, you can consider segments of the fan base and wonder how they even focus on it. It's probably because of how much you drink, but uh, in the case of, of this uh, series, there's three races to go. There's a lot to play for. A lot of things to be decided as they go into a new into 21 and uh, COVID time and how they're going to pull off some of these races and uh, figuring out what else, you know, like the new cost cap and salary cap and all these other things, how that's going to work uh, along with a new car that's going to be coming in 2022. So a lot to uh, go over and think about. As we move forward here, still got three races to go in the season. Uh, also, uh, racing uh, this past weekend was the uh, 12 hours of Sebring. We kind of combined it here with the GSP roundup here. Um, we had the 12 hours of Sebring, which usually is the second race of the year. When it was the ALMS, it was the first race of the year. Uh, but in this case, it was the last race, and uh, it saw the Mazda team in their last race with two cars, with Jonathan Bomarito, Harry Tinknell, and Ryan hunter Ray, Captain America, as Lee Diffie would, would say, win over the number six Team Penske Acura of Juan Pablo Monterrier, Dane Cameron, who just got announced today, as the uh, second full-time driver at um, Shank, what is it, um, MSR, or what is it, uh, Meyer Shank Racing now? Yeah, Meyer Shank Racing in their um, XM, Series XM Acura. Simon Pagino, who's going to have a ride at Daytona with somebody, uh, along with Jimmy Johnson. I don't know where that'll be, but it sounds like he'll be with Action Express. Uh, but Ganassi, of course, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Olivier Jarvis, Tristan Nuez, and Olivier Pla, who will be Dane Cameron's teammate at Meyer Shank Racing in the second 
uh, Mazda rounded out the podium. Uh, the championship was decided even though there were issues for both championship contenders. Uh, Ricky Helio uh, Castroneves and Ricky Taylor won the championship uh, by one point over Renger Van Der Zanda and Ryan Briscoe in the uh, Cadillac, the Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac. And then they had in this race, Dixon was with the 10 team and Alexander Rossi was with the seven team. Uh, there's definitely a, a lot of argy-bargy, as uh, as uh, Calvin Fish would say. You know, the 31 and the six got into it, which might have been part of the reason why the six didn't win. Uh, they had a lot of bad luck all year, which probably is part of the deal. Um, you know, issues with the turbo for the Acura, the seven Acura, the 10 had a bunch of penalties. Uh, different issues going on, contact. Uh, in the end, they finished next to last and last in the, in the uh, whatever, in their class. But it came down to one point after all these races, after a year unlike any other, uh, speaking of when talking about the Masters of Tradition, unlike any other, which I was watching mostly versus other things. But... That was something to the 12 hours running in November, but it was typical, you know, Sebring having uh, attrition play a big, big role. The uh, 52 performance tech uh, LMP2 wins 12 hours of Sebring over the um, Starworks number eight. Or it's not the performance tech. I'm getting that one wrong. I'm sure I'm getting that one wrong. The 52, it has Patrick Kelly uh, as the lead driver who won the championship. He wins with Simon Trummer and Scott Huffaker in LMP2. The GTLM, Porsche gets a 1-2 on their way out of the class, and BMW gets third and fourth as they're going to be out of the uh, leaving the class as well, at least as a full-time competitor. Uh, so Corvettes will be able to just do what they were doing for years when they dominated GT1, when they had no competition. And then in the GTD category, Ryan Hardwick, Long and Jan Halen, uh, in the, uh, the, I'm forgetting the name of the team name, of course. Right Motorsports. Right Motorsports Porsche, thank you. Uh, they, they, they won the race, uh, which was good for a first year team in this class, but they weren't able to, um, win the, uh, championship. Uh, unfortunately for them, uh, they were, they were, uh, beat by the, um, yeah, it's PR1 Matheson. That's right. PR1 Matheson LMB2. The right motorsports team they lost to the Meyer Shank team in their last race with the Acura NSX program before other teams go and take it over um, in terms of the podium the Wright Motorsports team wins Ian James, Roman DeAngelis, Darren Turner Harder Racing, Aston Martin finishes second and then Mario Farnbacher Matt McMurray and Shinya Mishimi uh, round out the podium uh, I'm not sure. Did you were you able to catch the race at all, Josh? Or I mean, I just cat caught like 
towards the end of it, like I saw the point where kind of where Montoya and the um Mazda got, got yeah, Pippa Durrani, you know, and they got together yeah. and saw saw a little bit of that towards the end and you know, just kind of the end of the race. Um I was kinda of busy on Saturday, but uh yeah, with some other things and you know, yeah, it was a. It seemed like as you know, typical Sebring though, just a lo- you know, a lot of attrition and and um, then at the end, kind of a physical race, I guess you could say with uh, with how that happened and then that I guess you know that kind of hurt them and they you know they got the penalty and and then um, also cost them three laps having to repair from that damage from um, that old incident. Yeah, um, you know, it seemed it seemed like a very. Uh, you know, very Sebring, you know, type of race and just uh, a lot of physical parts and, and, uh, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of attrition as you go through the 12 hours and um, very, very typical for a sports car race. And, and um, that's what makes sports car racing exciting is uh, the amount of uh, talent that you need to be able to go throughout that 12 hours with your team and the um, coordination and strategy and, and um, you know, it's it's a, a total team effort from all the drivers. Yep. I mean, there was the GTD battle went down to the bitter end. It was a close race. Uh, they it was a few seconds really between the top. What is it? One seven top seven were all on the same lap. So that's what you get. And I figure we're getting to a point where, I mean, next year they're going to run GT Blama the way it is. But I don't think after next year they're going to have that class uh, anymore. I think it is going to go and convert to a GT. Daytona will be kind of like the the one class and then they'll bring in GT4s or TCR or something because they're bringing LMP3 cars out there to to make up to make up uh, car count. So you know that I figure GT3 or GT4 or GT4 is going to start coming out there because they have it in the uh, the Michelin Pilot Challenge. I figure the classes they have the GS class and whatever GT4 cars. I think that's what's going to end up moving up to be kind of the pro am category and then um if you want to be a factory and you want to build a, G- a gt3 car then do that but you know there's definitely going to be mostly private teams running in that class and corvette will dominate the way they've destroyed you know, ran everybody else out for years and be able to dominate again but you have to give them credit they're able they've been winning for 20 years uh you know we'll uh, give a uh, hats off to uh, Oliver Gavin, who's basically um, got announced that he's not going to be back. Uh, he's basically been put in a retirement, just like a lot of the other guys, you know, whether it's Ron Fellows or Jan Magnuson. Now Oliver Gavin, um, it'll be leaving. Uh, they're they're announced. Marcel Fazler also isn't going to be back. It sounds like. Uh, there's a lot of pieces moving, you know, Daytona, the Rolex 24 is literally, what is it, 10 weeks away. So it's not that long relative to what the usual IMSA schedule is. It's only two and a half months till the Rolex. Uh, it's basically, what is it, nine, eight, 
eight, nine weeks. It's nine weeks till the Roar and 10 weeks till the Rolex 24. So it's a very short amount of time to turn around a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of driver changes and, you know, the Ganassi's coming back with a Cadillac prototype uh, DPI, basically taking Wayne Taylor's Cadillac over. Um, JDC Miller, as it stands, is going to, they say they're going to have one car. The Mustang sampling car is going to be back, but they don't really have any drivers right now. Uh, right, because um, because as it stands, Sebastian Bourdais uh, is leaving, of course, to go and drive um, AJ Foyt's 14 car. Uh, the, they were saying Loic Duval and Tristan Voltier likely will be the drivers. Uh, they don't know who else will be there for the Enduros. The second car is to be determined based on funding. Mazda's already said they're only going to multimatic with Mazda's only going to run one car. The Acuras are going to um, Meyer Shank, which they've already announced uh, Pla and, and Dane Cameron now. Uh, who they're going to have for the Enduros is to be determined. There, You would think that Elio Castroneves would be there, but it sounds like he's going to drive for Wayne Taylor's team at Daytona. Um, but along with, they said Scott Dixon, but maybe Scott Dixon's going to drive for the, for Ganassi. Uh, Johnson, they were saying he's going to run for for uh, Action Express in his second car, but this makes sense for them to run because Ganassi is running a full season car. You know, like it would kind of make sense for that to be the case. Um, it's interesting since Action Express is also involved in the next-gen car, which we'll talk about here in a moment, in a few moments. So, I mean, there's a lot of pieces, a lot of moving parts, cars and teams and uh, category changes. And I'm sure that there's, in a short amount of time, you're probably going to get a lot of um, ideas of not only what's going to happen in 2021, but as we move into 22 with the convergence and or hopefully the convergence of the prototypes between the um, IMSA DPIs with their LMP2 base and then the uh, World Endurance Championship with their hypercar format and then what they have going on over there, uh, which is basically a Toyota benefit. Um, hopefully that'll come along and, and help uh with car count and also having all the major races in sports car racing with one type of car type of types of cars um going across the world uh speaking of that uh the world endurance championship ended uh this past weekend with the toyotas of Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi, Jose Maria Lopez winning over their teammate, Sebastian Buemi, Kazuki Nakajima, and Brendan Hartley. Uh, third overall, uh, 16 laps behind was an LP, LMP2, Hoping Tongue, Gabriel Aubrey, and Will Stevens in the number 37. Uh, Roberto Gonzalez, Antonio Felix da Costa, who's trying to Moonlight here in IndyCar, he may, may not, who knows, he's a Formula E guy, Anthony Davidson, former Formula One driver, Formula Test guy, uh, works for Sky, um, he does Formula E, he's kind of a little bit of everything, 
the car that finished fifth, they're going to run, probably run Daytona. They're the Netherlands team with Nick DeVries, who runs Formula E, Guido Vandergarda, uh, who's over here in the States. And you got some other people in there. The Porsches won, went 1-2 in their last race uh, over there in the WEC as well. So big weekend for Porsche on in, on that thing. And then um, Porsches ended up winning in the AM category as well. So Ben Keating was in the AM category. He ran with Buren, Bleekamolen. Uh, they weren't at at uh, the 12 hours or over at Bahrain with the, with the uh, world endurance championship. Um, what is it? Uh, oh yeah. Pa- Paul Dallalana with the Aston Martin in the AM category. Pedro Lamy is in there. So I'm looking for some of the other names. We'll see what's going on with their World Endurance Championship next year. Of course, it was a much more condensed season. They'll go back to a single-year calendar now because of everything that's happened with COVID uh, starting next year. I think the initial plan is they'll have one race before they are supposed to come to Sebring, but whether that actually happens or not uh, is to be determined. And I would venture to say it isn't going to happen the way things are going right now. Um, for multiple reasons, uh, Moto GP and Moto two, the Valencia GP, um, we'll just kind of hit, you know, Joe Roberts finished 11th in, uh, the Moto two category. It's a couple, there's one race to go, um, in the season after this, um, Joe Roberts ended up and he ends up getting points. So that's good. Uh, trying to maintain his situation as he moves on to a different team. He is still four points. He's four points behind Tatsuya Nakajima for for seventh. Uh, he's got an eight-point lead on Marcel Schroeder, who finished fourth in this race on Sunday. Javi Vieje finished um, 13th, so he didn't really lose too much ground to him. Tom Luthie's been on a non-point scoring streak. So there's one race to go. They'll be at Portugal this weekend, and we'll talk about that in the um, next episode. Ania Bastaini has a 14-point lead on Sam Lowe's and uh 18-point lead on Luca Marini. Those are the three riders right now that have a chance at the world championship. Um, after that, Pisecki is eliminated because there's not enough points there. He's uh, 20, 23. No, actually, he's in it too. Sorry. Because the most, yeah, because it's, yeah, he's actually in it too. Yeah, sorry. So there's actually four riders that have a chance. Of course, you kind of need things to go a certain way. Bastaini needs to not score or finish very low in outside of the top 10 for some of these other guys to really have a chance. Uh, so that'll be an interesting uh, run up at uh, Portimao, which was a great circuit, which is a great circuit for Formula One. And uh, it's been a motorcycle circuit for many years anyway. So uh, we will see what happens there. Um, going into the MotoGP World Championship, Joanne Mir 
wins the MotoGP World Championship uh, with a seventh place finish after winning the European Grand Prix which basically gave him the cushion he needed. Franco Morbidelli gets another win over Jack Miller. It was a really close race. Less than a tenth of a second was the gap there. Paula Spargro on the KTM finished third. Alex Rins fourth. Brad Binder fifth. So KTM, Factory, 3-5. And then uh, Miguel Oliveira, who won at Red Bull Ring, uh, finished sixth. Joanne Mir, as I said, seventh. Davizioso, eighth. Alex Espargo for Aprilia finished ninth. And then Maverick Vinales finished tenth. Franco Bagnaia finished eleventh. Rossi, twelfth, returning from the COVID. Um, another COVID deal. And in terms of other guys, Alex Mark doesn't even get a point. Lorenzo Salvadori um, on the Aprilia. So outside the points filling in for, uh, I think, I think he was filling in for, I don't know if I'm forgetting his name now, whatever. Um, Joan Sarko wrecked in five laps in the race. Quattroaro tucked the, tucked the wheel and uh, went out and basically eliminated himself. And then Taka Nakagami uh, also crashed while trying to go for second in the race and uh that was throwing away an opportunity there it's not the first time either quattro or nakagami have done that in recent races um two guys that um quattro he's going to go up to the big the main yamaha team nakagami uh, i'm not sure if he's i think he's staying at lcr honda and he'll have he'll be teammates with Alex Marquez next year, so that'll be something. Um, Crutch Loud has announced he's going to be Yamaha's test rider um, next year. I think they let uh, um, let, uh, let uh, what's his name uh, go. Yeah, I'm just forgetting everybody's name. It's it's convenient. And I can't even blame it on the fact that I've drank. Um, uh, I'm just, whatever. I'll probably remember it later on, and then I'll bring it up later. But uh, outside of that, the other major race that took place uh, this week was the, this past weekend was the finale of the British Touring Car Championship. And uh, you saw Ash Sutton win the uh, British Touring Car Championship for a second time in the uh in an infinity q50 um over and just bring up the races over here and the next race is brands hatch indy of course um that'll be in, in april but they ran at brands hatch indy this past weekend or brands hatch gp sorry brands hatch gp for the last three races of the of the season a beautiful track i love brands hatch it's it's legendary and i've been able to go there and just run up the straight and that's enough for me uh an awesome racetrack they had formula one they've had indycar there uh so i mean it's just cool uh, in terms of the races you had the race one it was dan camish ash sutton tom ingram were the top three Rory Butcher, 
fourth, Ollie Jackson fifth. In second race, Ash Sutton won over Ingram, Camish, Turkington, and Ollie Jackson. Race three, Butcher, Ingram, Jake Hill, Dan Camish, Adam Morgan were the top five. And then in terms of the championship, Ash Sutton wins the championship, takes it away from Colin Turkington, the multi-time champion, by 14 points. Dan Camish was third. A further two points behind that. Ingram and Butcher were the top five in terms of the Jack Sears trophy for the. It was Michael Kreese who wins the Jack Sears trophy in the independence. It is Ash Sutton, of course, over Rory Butcher, Adam Morgan, Tom Chilton and uh, Jake Hill. So. Yeah, British Touring Car Championship. They've had a condensed season, of course, but they they are able to put on a good uh, product out on the racetrack in general, relative to other series. Um, so you got to give give them credit for uh, being able to pull off the calendar and be able to do what they have to do this year, um, for sure. Um, I'm going to toss now in terms of this season and going over what we have gone through so far in, in 2020 and COVID and all the craziness that's gone on. Uh, I, I figure we could do the good, the bad and the ugly. And um, with that, I'm going to go and do this live on air. I usually go and mute the mic, but I don't care. Well, actually, um, well, before we go and really get into the good, the bad, and the ugly, there's some silly season stuff that came out. I mean, it's, I talked about some of it for some of the other series. Jeb Burton got announced as the driver of the uh, 10 Xfinity car, the Nutrient Ag Solutions 10 for college racing. Uh, he's getting a full-time ride. Daniel Hemrick's going to drive the 18 car next year in the Xfinity series. It sounds like, um, yeah, I think, what is it, Gragson and um, Annette and, of course, uh, uh, all guy are all going to come back. The eight car is going to be Sam Mayer, I think, over the second half of the season with, um, what's his name, the late model driver uh, for Junior Motorsports' buddy. Uh, Junebug's buddy, who's uh, the late model driver. Oh, Josh Berry. Josh Berry is going to run 12 races, and uh, figure Junebug will run run one, and then the rest of the series of 20 races will be um, Sam Mayer before he runs for full full season the following year. So a lot of pieces are falling into place in terms of the big rides, but one piece that we didn't expect. John Hunter Nemechek decided to leave Front Row Motorsports and says he has plans to announce that he will let us know on a later date. Of course, him and his wife are expecting to. Um, so there's that, you know, like kind of think about that with all the like the baby boom going on, like uh, Ty Dillon. They just had their son, but of course he doesn't have a ride. Uh, a lot of pieces, a lot of moving parts. We don't know who's going to go to Front Row Motorsports. Uh, I don't really know. Who, I mean, I have one idea. Um, 
but I mean, in terms of what's going on on the NASCAR side, Xfinity, of course, trucks with Chase Purdy is going to be driving for GMS. It sounds like he'll be in the 23 or they may start numbering or changing the different numbers. They may put Zane Smith and they might change it around amongst the rest of them guys. But trucks, I think, are you're going to wait until a week before Daytona, before we really know what, who's going where. I mean, everyone's going to make a big deal about Deegan being in a, a DGR Crosley truck and that's fine and well, but isn't going to make up for the fact that she's, she's a, she sucks. But, um, I mean, what did you think of, I, I guess before we go, like we, it's a kind of broad question, Josh, but, what do you think of the news of John Hunter Nemechek all of a sudden when there's really no rides available in the Cup Series um, to decide that he's going to bail uh, Front Row Motorsports? And uh, what do you think he's going to do going into 2021? Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, situation with uh, John Hunter Nemechek because last season there were definitely some moments where he uh, showed his talent. You know, he had the top 10 finish at Darlington when they came back from COVID, uh, the first race that from uh, the lockdowns. And then there are you know, some moments where he definitely struggled. And I guess he feels like for his career, he can definitely do uh, a whole lot better than front row uh, going into next year. And then that uh, he can potentially compete for uh, more top 10s or top 15s and, um, you know, potentially maybe the, uh, race win or whatever at uh, another team but the problem is, is um, I don't know what team uh, he'd be going to there's no indication from um, anybody on who uh, who he could potentially go to and I'm sure maybe this was predetermined uh, given the fact that it's so sudden I mean to us it seems very sudden and uh, a very uh, unwise move to make but maybe he knows uh He's got something lined up at another team, and and they'll have to wait for that announcement uh, later in the future, and you know possibly a couple of weeks whenever that uh, comes around. But I thought he did pretty solid in the 38 car uh, in 2020 uh, for the level that that team's at and where he is as a, a rookie driver. Uh, he definitely could have had maybe another season or two before he um, moved on to a, a different ride in that uh, that car. But we'll have to see what happens and. Um, if the team that he does end up going to, if that could be considered an upgrade over form, uh, uh, front row, and I'm sure it could be, but it'll have to, you know, be very dependent on uh, what that team is. I mean, if it's a, a team like uh, Gaunt Brothers Racing or something like that, like, uh, yeah, that's a, a downgrade. But if uh, you know, if he's able to find an upgrade somewhere else um, where you know he can have a little bit more reliable equipment and allow him to. Um, be a little bit more competitive than um, it, I guess that could be considered a good move, but uh, it's a very sudden change and uh, unexpected, but we'll have to wait and see uh, what he uh, ends up going to and, and if that's a, um, a good decision to leave or not. Yeah, it, it, it seemed weird to me and I, you know, talked to my you know, my buddy and somebody who's been on the show and somebody who has his own show, Clinton Caldwell, 
talking in circles. He has a he seems to have a lot of insight and connections and things at Front Row Motorsports because of his fandom of David Reagan um, and also other things. But uh, in, I was trying to figure out what happened and if he knew anything. He didn't know anything. Uh, he brought up something, and I mean, it's not official. It's not. It's just speculation. Um, and I think you know, cup racing. Like we haven't heard anything about Gone Brothers. I mean, it's a good point you brought up, Josh, that they don't have a driver. Uh, of course, with some of the news, Carl Long came out um, and was outspoken, um, and uh, about the whole situation with the charters and. Uh, with the fact that the open teams are not going to get any money uh, for running. So basically uh, next year, which is pretty effed up uh, when you consider they're not even getting full fields. Uh, and so that that is um, going to be a problem, I would think, um, in general to try to fill fields outside of some of the bigger races. Um, I think that that's something to look at and something to look towards later on, maybe closer to the start of next year, maybe in terms of (laughs) trying to get Carl Long and see if he's willing to be as open about some of the issues that are going on with that, um, whether his cars are actually going to be up there, uh, uh, prior to 2022, he tried to get the charter from Jermaine. They turned it down. I think the Jermaine charter ended up going to um, to the 99 team or whatever. I think that's what that was. Um, yeah, the Go Fast team, whatever. They sold their portion to BJ McLeod and whatever. Okay, so the Trackhouse team. Oh, yeah, the Jermaine charter went to Danny Hamlin. Okay. Because they paid him more money, yeah. The Michael Jordan, Denny Hamlin, they paid him more money. That's what that was. Yeah, um, of course. Uh, the Levine Charter went to Spire. The Trackhouse team, which is um, which is uh, Justin Marks with uh, Daniel Suarez in '99, and the leased uh, they leased it. To they they they're leasing the 77, which is basically what there was the old 78 car. So the 78, what it was a 78 car is now the 99. Was the 77 now is going to be the 99. Uh, Spire is going to use the 95 charter, and then whatever other one that they have to um, run tailback or. Whatever it is, uh, they'll they'll run with the. Um, it sounds like Corey LaJoy is going to be uh, in in the in that car or one of them. Uh, the 37 JTG car. There's issue. There was some rumors or whatever, but it sounds like they're going to stick around. So that'll all stick. Um, the 88 Hendrick car is going to be the five car, of course, with Kyle Larson next year. Um, 38 car, we don't know who's going to drive that. We don't really know who's going to drive the second Spire car. Uh, trying to go through all of these. No one knows who's going to be in the 15 for premium. 
premium slash um, Rick Ware Racing actually now. Um, Eric Jones will be in the 43. The 48 car is, yeah, the 48, I guess, will that switch? I mean, that's this is for this year. It hasn't been updated uh, for 2021 yet, but um, back in October, I've had a charter history. So, yeah, so tentative, yeah, so that's Pacris there. Uh, the Levine charter was originally Tommy Baldwin's. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, the Petty Ware one is based on. Oh, so it started as the nine, then it became the forty-four with Brian Scott. Went to go fast and renumbered forty-three partnership with Rick Ware. So the fifty-one. Oh God, how convoluted is that? It's too much. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think that speaks to something in terms of how bad this whole system is. It kind of speaks to how, how this is, the charter system has only benefited Rob Kaufman and a couple other people, really, at the end of the day. When you look at, it hasn't solved issues with car count. It hasn't solved issues with savings. It hasn't really given value. Because when you consider Barney Visser spent, uh, I think, 13, 14 years in this sport between what was the Bush series when he, he was started there, got the cup, wins a cup championship, builds one of the best race teams in the business, and then Joe Gibbs prices him out of the sport along with TRD. And literally, I think, what did he get, a check for $8 million? I mean, I'm sure he's a businessman. I don't, and I'm sure and he's a successful businessman, but that doesn't sound like a good return on investment. Um, I know in racing to make a, to, to make, to make money or to make a fortune, you have to start or make a small fortune. You have to start with a big one, like the sayings like that. But I think it's really fucked up and convoluted to say the least that um, teams that are successful, uh, don't make any money. Uh, teams that have done a lot over the years don't have anything to show for it. I mean, if you're bad, if you're just basically out there like what Jermaine was, it is what it is, and they ended up selling out to to Michael Jordan. So um, they're going to end up making out fine. Uh, Spire car, be, the fact that Spire is able to buy these charters and throw them around like underwear is a joke the same way as Rick Ware is able to. Um, it shows that there's no validity to it and that next year's Daytona 500 is going to only have 36 cars is a joke. When, you know, five, seven, ten years ago, you had 50-plus cars showing up for 43 spots and the, the 150 qualifying races actually had meeting. Um, now the 150 qualifying races are a waste of time. Um, it's just ridiculous. Uh, I, I I don't know what to say. I mean, there's going to be more uh, stuff coming along. Uh, the new car, the next-gen car, was tested today by Kurt Busch and Martin Truex. They talked about driving around the Roval, and they, it's got a new um, split exhaust, so it sounds a lot uh Sounds a lot like a deep throaty, um, not trying to make it into porn, but yeah, it's got a deeper, you know, more 
horsepower. It sounds like it sounds like what a, a cup car should sound like. Um, Chase Elliott, he's going to run the snowball. Oh, look at him. Old Clyde's happy that he won the cup championship. Now he wants to go and see if he can be Kyle Busch at the Snowball Derby. We'll see about that. Super late model. The super late model Super Bowl. Uh, the yeah. Snowball Derby here in a few weeks' time. Should be um, a good matchup for that. Yeah, and it's going to be a deep field. I'm sure Eric Jones probably is going to bring his car out again after getting out of Joe Gibbs Racing. Yeah. Oh, so Elliott's going to be driving a James Finch car. So, yeah, he's going to – and Ricky Turner, who's a great crew chief. Yeah, so, oh, man. So he definitely has a good chance to win that race. He's contend. He's competed in the Snowball Derby before, and he's had a chance to um, – win that race so um i think now we can go into the good the bad and the ugly i'll throw to you josh um in terms of what we went through this year and covid and all that and having the season stop for a few months and we had the sim season with the pro invitational and uh, I, I, and you're a sim guy, so I mean, maybe you could take that angle for one of those uh, pieces. But after all that we've seen, and even considering what we're going through right now, and what did you take away? What did you look at from this year that you would say is good, that you would say is a bad sign, and what is really a really effed up uh, about the sport or something that happened during the season that was really effed up that has to be addressed that may that likely won't be addressed well I, I think you know with the the good stuff um, the short track racing um, returning to the shorter spoiler with uh, the 750 horsepower I think that was a positive and is a welcome change and um, definitely at those races I think the uh, racing was a lot better, and uh, the, than what we saw with uh, the 550 high downforce uh, for the most part at most most of the races with that package, and and um, it was a bit of a different contrast, and we were able to see uh, a little bit different style of racing, where it was kind of back in the driver's hands, and it was a little, um, you know a little bit more of uh, being able to. Uh, really you know wrestle and drive the race car to you know a certain extent and i thought that was good um and you know talking about like the sim angle uh stuff i think i was able to kind of keep people engaged throughout uh covid uh at least you know the part where everybody was locked in their homes and all that stuff and uh it definitely gave a different angle to that and well, I do have my, you know, criticisms of iRacing uh, as a platform and the exact um, physics issues that we've talked about before. Uh, you know, like it was definitely entertaining, and a lot of people, you know, to still have, you know, engagement with the the drivers on a, a little bit of a different level, and kind of gave the drivers a chance to um, give themselves opportunity to um, do their own uh, streams on Twitch and uh, YouTube and whatnot and that allowed allowed them to kind of uh express a little bit different side of themselves and have like a little bit more engagement than what they're normally used to on social media so i thought that was good um and you know just from the sim aspect like how far sim had come from where it's been in the past and 
you know, they're able to uh, broadcast it on TV, which I think, you know, even a couple of years ago for me, like I would have uh, laughed at you if you'd said that uh, we were able to watch uh, an iRacing race uh, be broadcast on Fox or on NBC. Uh, that that's, uh, speaks volumes for what they were able to do. And I think, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and uh, people at iRacing, people at Fox, and um, that are able to kind of organize that and get that together and keep us engaged uh, throughout uh, the um, shutdowns and all of that. So uh, it was uh, good on that part. Um, I mean, some of the, you know, the um, mile and a half races were okay. And um, I thought, you know, I thought the, um, you know, Pocono and Michigan races were kind of good. Um, Homestead, you know, was pretty good race uh, for that package, even though it wasn't, you know, it wasn't all that great, but I, I thought it was still pretty decent. Um, um, uh, even like Fontana, uh, Las Vegas, the, some of those tracks were uh, pretty good uh, events. Um, and I think a little bit, uh, a little bit of uh, what we saw this year with some of the drivers that won. Um, you know, Alex Bowman had a race win. We saw uh, Cole Custer get a win. Uh, Austin Dillon. Uh, William Byron, so some guys that you know, haven't won or um, got their first win in their career uh, that happened. So it was a little bit, a little bit more diverse in the win category, although it was still top heavy with Hamlin and Harvick and um, uh, Martin Truex and Brad Keselowski. Uh, so I think, I think in that area, you know, there are some good positives uh, um, that I mentioned, but I think the the bad stuff for me that I'll, I'll point out is uh, the well. One one last good thing, you know, is being being able to attend the Daytona 500 and see the race on the first day when they only ran like 20 laps, and the second day when I had to rush it back from work to catch the end of the race and um, still see all that action and uh, you know that was good and definitely a good experience and you know hopefully I'll be able to go back in the future. But uh, I think the bad part um, on on that leading into that is uh, the restrictor plate racing and and we saw. You know, Ryan Newman get uh, injured pretty badly, although he was able to survive the accident. Um, uh, the kind of the ridiculousness that we've seen this year from restrictor plate racing with how Talladega uh, ended this year with the yellow line rule and, and um, how, you know, the chase or the playoffs gets gets decided uh, by the random, randomness of Daytona and and all of that like it, it was a uh, close racing and a, a lot of exciting moments but at the same time there was a lot of um bad officiating and or well bad uh stewardship by the uh sanctioning body throughout all of those races and and um the way that they put the drivers in a position to uh really uh not respect each other and and uh not you know not not race each other um in in a way that would seem professional to other series and and I think I think it was just uh, a lot of bad stuff that you know you didn't really like from those races and and kind of kind of sums up NASCAR um, in a whole is that you know they have a lot of clips that they're going to use for the sizzle reel with a, a lot of all the wrecks and everything and then they just have a, a lot of crazy moments on the track and it's all, you know, all for entertainment. So I think it's really bad on the sport when, you know, the four races that can be marketed pretty well, um, really show how much of a, um, a joke 
the sport can be at, at times. And, um, you know, it's n- not a whole lot to like from that. And I think the, you know, leading into the ugly part is just the uh, continued horridness of the the rules package in general and uh, how draft heavy uh, these races at the mile and a half and two mile tracks uh, continue to be. And, and why I have advocated in the past for um, drafting to be more of a factor, um, it, it shouldn't be like the all determining factor and making the cars completely dependent on the draft and, and on uh, clean air at these tracks. And, and the fact that, you know, you can't make it pass and despite being within the draft uh, in the corners, like you can't make enough of a run in the corners to um, pass the dry a driver without losing the air on your nose. Uh, makes it tough to watch racing like that. It makes it easy for drivers to get away and it makes it easier for unlikely winners like Cole Custer and, and uh, Austin Dillon to win races when, um, you know, they're able to, which is good, but the fact that it happened probably shouldn't have happened and, um, leads to unlikely and unpredictable winners that really, you know, don't deserve to win. Uh, I didn't like that. And, and I don't think it will change, uh, you know, obviously this year it's not going to change, uh, as they're staying with the same package and it's going to be an unknown how, uh, it changes in 2022 with the new package. I mean, obviously the racing will change somewhat, um, as expected within a new rules formula and we'll see how that goes. Um, obviously we mentioned the, uh, test with Kurt Busch and Martin Truex Jr. And from everything as sounds, uh, from the, uh, driver's quotes, uh, what they thought, how the, the car drove, it sounds like this car is going to be basically NASCAR's version of, uh, IMSA sports car or, uh, Australian V8 supercar. It sounds like that's how it's going to handle. Um, and it seems like it's going to handle very well on the road courses, but uh, a little bit to be determined on, on the ovals, how exactly it'll, it'll uh, uh, handle. And we're going to see if maybe it fixes some of the issues with clean air, um, as that's been an issue for a long time. Uh, but I, I think uh, really for me, like um, if, if uh, they actually wanted to fix the problem, they would just completely tear down the car completely and, and just uh, start over from the ground up and, uh, I don't know if that's what they're doing from the uh, this new car because it seems like they'll you know they change the outer outer side of the car the you know the the body and then they in it you know they take out some parts of the internal side uh, uh, on the underbody and uh, don't really um, you know change change what actually needs to to be changed and uh, I think maybe maybe it'll change this time but. Um, I'll have to see some more evidence with uh, more cars in the track to make that determination. But uh, I think the good and the, or, or the ugly and the, the bad outweigh the good um, because there is more um, bad stuff that happened um, that really uh, make the future of the sport not look as good as what they would like it to or would like you to make it think it is. Uh, but at the same time, you know, NASCAR is still here. And they'll they'll continue to be here, and we'll see how the losses from uh, COVID, with uh, the 150 or 170 million in uh, revenue that tracks lost this year, how that'll affect the sport in the future, and and how that'll affect uh, the wages for drivers, and how it'll affect uh, the, their bottom line, and and um, how how long it'll take to kind of recover from that, and 
and uh, what what will make this or what will the sport look like from that in five to ten years and if it continues to shrink or if they're able to figure out a way to to grow the sport yeah it's there's a lot to unpack and i mean you made a lot of great points there and it's when you consider what this sport has become i think the point you made about the gen 7 the next gen car which has the basically the gearbox and uh from a v8 supercar the single lug wheels which is an imsa thing of course jim france runs nascar so basically right now what we have is a pseudo trans am like a ta1 trans am like a gt1 uh scca car uh with some sort of nascar components and some sort of formula one because they've got way too many engineer types in there um that's the kind of car that we're going to they assume that less horsepower is going to mean better racing um if less horsepower with virtually no downforce was the thing then the the reality is the amount of horsepower isn't really the thing it's how fast they go by you how they sound when they go by you when we are actually allowed to be in the grandstand since that's not going to be a thing for a long time um in most places for full like full crowds it's not like nascar was filling stands in general they had to they had to right size quote air quote right size air quote um to to go and get sell out crowds but i mean the new car sounds good based on what they have right now this third iteration of the new um car with the split exhaust six-speed sequential extract gearbox which is from the supercars uh so i feel like that'll allow for some opportunities to get through the corner better um to go and and make better racing uh the 550 rules package if they're going to continue with that it sounds like what kurt bush said was somewhere around 650 is what they were working with today at the test at charlotte the road course package they've got six road courses next year and the based on what martin truex said the car was easier to drive now i don't know if that's because it's more comfortable got massive brakes on it i'm not sure uh what that means uh per se i think you want them to drive like a dump truck period uh, i think that's how it should be it shouldn't be easy to drive shouldn't be comfortable uh they're cup cars uh they should drive they shouldn't feel like they're planted they shouldn't feel like a ta1 or gt1 car out there on an oval because that means those things are gonna be sealed off and they're gonna be going fast the reality is based on the timings they were talking about i think they're about three seconds off what uh pole speed was uh here last couple of years maybe six seconds yeah uh from the 2019 
or 2018 poll time. So, I mean, they're going to be a little slower, but if they sound better and they look cooler, you can kind of go and take that for what it is. But we will see. Um, we'll see who else is showing up to fill the field. Um, obviously, if they're not going to pay open teams, they figure they're going to have uh, the opportunity to get to 40 cars or if not more um, here shortly. And they, I think one of the pieces that's going to play a big role in that is TRD, who's in the back pocket of the Francis with the Michael Jordan team and how they're going to act like they're not a Joe Gibbs junior outfit is to be determined. Uh, it's a lot like Formula One with Red Bull and Toro Rosso or whatever, um, uh, Alpha Tori or the way that Mercedes run their car and tracing point with their whole, with their partnership with Mercedes now with Aston Martin, how that's not there. Like, I want to know how they're going to control that colluding aspect of it. Um, unless like Denny Amlin's going to move the 11 car over to 2311 and move his whole team over there and everything will be like, oh, it's a Joe Gibbs team per se, but it's 2311, which I mean, it's typical NASCAR. They would do that sort of thing. Um, I agree with Josh in terms of the good was the short track racing this year. Uh, the 750 package provided a better product overall. It didn't really provide a great championship race uh, because 300 miles to determine a champion when you have so many 500, 400 mile races, I think is counterproductive. That's beside the point. I think that's for something we'll talk about during the off season. Uh, I think the 750 rules package opened up, opened the door for a lot more teams to compete. Uh, Toyota, of course, dominated last year, got three of the top three of the four in the in the championship. And this year, Toyota definitely was not up there. Uh, You can make the argument it's because of the lack of practice. You could make the argument that Kyle Busch regressed. Um, which I think is a positive anyways, because it humbled him and he needed to be humbled. Um, I wish I had the drop of freaking the Iron Sheik um, saying he humbled Brian Blair here. But I think the the that's the basis. That's the foundation. The 750 package, low downforce, is like a baseline of what they should be trying to do. Um, You look at the next-gen car and Action Express is involved in it. Gary Nelson's one of the great crew chiefs and great minds in the sport. He was so good and he was so innovative, NASCAR decided to hire him. It's what I thought Chad Knauss was going to end up going to eventually. Instead, you know, Fat Felon made him director of competition uh, so that he could stay home instead of be traveling on the road. He's going to be a Monday to Friday guy and working from home during the weekend so he can be with his smoking hot wife and uh, kids. I always thought Chad Canals was going to do that and or do TV because, honestly, he's really good on TV, too. 
Um, I think the good is that, and I, and hopefully with more 750 races, we'll have a little better racing. Um, I feel like Toyota will come back and it will be a little more balanced than the more. I mean, Toyota, other than Denny Hamlin, will come back and there will be a little bit more balance across all three manufacturers. Um, the bad. I think, I mean, the bad, I think, is we talked about it earlier. I think the charter system is the bad. I mean, I, I think for me, I'm considered a pessimist by nature, uh, probably based on a lot of things I say and how I'm how outspoken I am. But the charter system doesn't work. It's the same way as the top 35 didn't work. All these systems don't work. There should be rules in place that should allow owners, whether they're big money, small money in between, to be able to invest in the sport. And whether they're able to make it long term or short term, they should get some value for that. This new Gen 7 car because it's going to be sort of a common car. I think they're saying reducing costs. I think it's more, it's less about reducing costs and more about you're going to be able to move these cars on to somebody else and kind of get a better, uh, better return on them. Because back in the gen five days, they were much cheaper to make. You weren't getting, you're getting pennies on the dollar for selling equipment and stuff like that. Uh, the Or the Gen 4, I mean. The Gen 5 was a COT. And that was a, a joke. But it brought in a lot of safety. It was ugly, but it brought in a lot of safety. Which, um, you know, Josh, you mentioned about Newman. Uh, if, if it weren't for the kind of safety that they've implemented over these last... Uh, 20 years I don't think Ryan Newman would have been here um, after that wreck which I think that I think that would be like my 1a on the bad is the restrictor plate or super speedway racing and the general lack of um, respect that any of these drivers show to one another and the willingness to go and destroy equipment the field, multiple drivers put themselves in peril uh, because it's basically a demolition derby. Uh, I think that, I mean, super speedway racing in general has never been my uh, cup of tea. Uh, if you're a Junebug fan, I'm sure it is. If you're an Earnhardt fan, sure it is. Um, you're generally a Chevy person. I get it. If you're a fan of of that horse face Denny Hamlin I'm sure you like it now uh, but I mean, I'm Brad Keselowski I don't really like it uh, it's it it's not about talent um, it's it you could say there's a level of talent to be able to read the drafts and going kind of do I think it's more luck and frankly when it comes to driving a race car it shouldn't be strictly about luck there should be some level of skill involved to actually be able to win a race. 
you shouldn't be having to block runs and get yourself turned into the infield uh, after you've led most of the race, or you run 280 miles in a 300 mile race, and then you start blocking with 10, 15 to go and you get destroyed. It, it It's a joke. Um, and fundamentally like the Daytona 500 has lost its luster. Uh, it's the biggest race. It's the most important race. It's the, uh, it's the, what they call the Super Bowl of stock car racing, and the Super Bowl is probably going to be the week before uh, the Daytona 500 at this rate. Um, but the race is going to be a joke because the, all they're going to do is destroy a bunch of race cars. Um, before you actually had to have some level of driving talent and skill to actually win the Daytona 500. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore. And Denny Hamlin's probably going to win too, uh, which would be convenient um, for the Toyota narrative. Uh, in terms of the ugly, I, I think it's really, there, there, there's a few things that, that could go in terms of the ugly for me when it comes to this Cup Series season. Um, I think a general lack of of respect towards certain issues that are going on in society might be the ugly, but um, I think it's worse than other series, uh, one in particular. Um, I, I think the 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 leadership in the sport relative to not only social justice but the actual on-track product i think that is a problem like you consider the major league baseball rob manfred's uh, ballless he, he basically is like a ken doll he has no balls um he's a horrible commissioner uh roger goodell horrible commissioner um basically a talking head douchebag um, Adam Silver is a good commissioner, but, you know, the NBA has become this polarizing thing where you're basically a fan. If you like LeBron James, you like the NBA. If you don't like LeBron James, you're out. Or if you have certain things going on, it's a very polarizing thing. Hockey, people don't give a shit about Batman or care. Most people don't like Batman, but the league is, exists. You know, they napalm themselves in 2007 with the lockout steve phelps is basically a talking head and a puppet steve o'donnell's a fat piece of shit that looks like somebody that would probably run would be a house of representatives out of certain states um he looks like somebody him and mac gets probably hang out and and fuck animals uh, that that those are the kind of people that are leading this sport, and you know these butt lickers and ball lickers who don't have a clue about what good racing is, and dealing with social justice issues and throwing certain people under the bus for their own narrative, and I think it's easy to use certain people to put across a story or a thought or whatever that you want to act 
like you're trying to address an issue, but fundamentally you're not addressing an issue. Um, it's to me the Cup Series season when you look at Kevin Harvick winning nine races, and they're like, "Well, yeah, he didn't perform in that last round. He performed at Kansas, and he couldn't pass. He literally couldn't pass when he had a faster race car because of the 550 rules package. And the only reason the 550 rules package exists is because of the dumb fucks that run this sport. There's a simple solution to every... I mean, it's it's a simple solution that there's so many effing NASCAR-related podcasts or IndyCar-related, motorsports-related podcasts that most of, these, most of us say it, talk about it. You have drivers talk about it. They want throttle response. They want to be able to have drive off and drive through the center. They want to have to back off because they're going so damn fast that they can't get through the corner. They want the thing to be loose. Jimmy Johnson is a seven-time champion who's won 83 races. He's one of the greatest of all time. And more people, the longer he goes away from this sport is when people are going to appreciate him. I am guilty of not appreciating how good he was. But he showed at times this year how good he really was relative to what he's having to drive. He basically quit because of the way these cars are going. The guy drives has driven all kinds of stuff. He's on the cusp of ending up driving the Indy 500. He's probably going to drive in 22. You heard it here. I, it's not like a, a big secret. I don't think it, it's going out on a big limb, but... I feel like he's going to drive the Indy 500 and he's going to he's going to go to sports cars after that full time. He doesn't want to drive NASCAR, which has made his name, which has paid him millions of dollars. He was able to maintain Lowe's as a sponsor for decades, for decade and a half, whatever. Get Ally, which was GMAC back before that, to come back full sponsor him he literally only had two sponsors whole effing career the way things are in this sport that doesn't happen anymore and for him to basically say i mean i'm not i'm paraphrasing and saying like he basically stopped because of the way these cars are going and the rules you're not listening to him you're not listening to a seven-time champion 83 races then who the hell are you listening to? You're listening to cellar dwellers, listening to people that are just field fillers, people who don't give a crap, but they just want to make their bottom line. Like, who are you listening to to determine these rules? Who are you? Who are you? De- who's determining what we're seeing as an on-track product? Who tells you that the 550 rules package is a good product? Why? Because two laps after a restart, you have some craziness. Basically, 550 zealots are going to show the Kentucky last restart at Kentucky where Cold Custard won the Rookie of the Year. That's a fucking anomaly. Show me what the hell happened at Texas both times, and that's what the 550 rules back. And show me Kansas this second, both times at Kansas. That's what the 550 rules package is. 
and it took them until now they're like oh yeah we're gonna make it it has to be anything under one and a half miles and road courses and or whatever will be the 750 package like how about you just run the 750 package everywhere one rules package you go and tweak a little thing here and there maybe put a little more spoiler or you go and uh you put a little bigger spacer how about that that might be a novel concept when you consider going to talk about xfinity and trucks here probably in the near future probably next week or two um and you consider what the xfinity product was at the same tracks as cup and they had a much better product in general i think that's what you have to look at it's something you have to say what is nascar trying to do uh you need to get a new audience yeah you need to get people who are low attention span and you already have plenty of people who have low attention span um it's definitely not josh and i uh, we're way too intelligent for the sport quite frankly uh but it insults my intelligence the way they treat fans and the way they provide this product and act like we're supposed to be grateful um and they that they can't take a lick of criticism uh, the notion it's not cancel culture it's not anything like that it's truth telling you don't want to hear the truth so then you want to say it's cancel culture or you don't want you want to go and blame somebody else sounds like a certain person um at the end of the day there's responsibility and there's accountability if you don't want to be accountable you don't want to be responsible and get the fuck out of there and put somebody who wants to be in there there's plenty of people that love this sport and care about this sport that want to be able to do uh to lead this thing forward and bring it forward and with this next generation of drivers really go and keep it and make this sport healthier than it's ever been you know you have the clydes who's now a champion at a very young age you have Blaney's, you have, you have Bubba and Reddick and, uh, you know, Cold Custard. And, you know, you look at some of the guys that are going to probably come back, like John Nemechek and, and um, Hamrick. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of talent. And with the Gen 7 car, it seems like, you know, Justin Haley, you'd be another one, like Jeb Burton, you know. There's, it sounds like the Gen 7 car is going to be that opening for certain owners, Matt Collig, to come up into the sport and possibly have an opportunity to be uh, an owner when you consider most of the owners outside of Tony Stewart are old, old bats. That's what you need to be looking at. You need to be growing the sport. You need to be going and providing a product that's watchable and uh, provides compelling characters which there aren't that many uh, which is something that has to be addressed for sure and uh and and providing uh, the the product has to be good and it has to sound good and it has to look good if that's the case you hit some of the simple stuff then everything else will fall into place otherwise we will see with that um, we, we'll probably go into more detail about some of the drivers and what we thought about their seasons uh, more 
in detail. I don't know. Do you want to do that, Josh, or you're good to go? I'm good to go. I mean, we can probably save that for a future one. Yeah, I figured I'll be good for another episode for sure. And you talk about, you know, all these guys that are definitely guaranteed to be running next year in the Cup Series. And I think we'll probably do that more with the Xfinity and Trucks, which I think will probably be next week, uh, pre-Thanksgiving week or the following week. We'll get into that. Um, Might do some IndyCar stuff as well here in the next week or so. Uh, Before we uh, leave for uh this episode of the gsp josh um let us know where you can follow you and um see you racing on your uh your your sim racing and anything else you want to let us know yeah um always follow me on twitter uh jp huffine uh twitch.tv slash you sailor too uh we'll be racing next sunday uh there's a a Another uh, iRacing IndyCar event. Uh, this one's the Save the Freedom 100. Uh, it's being organized by, uh, uh, I guess, David Land, the YouTuber. If you've heard of him or watched his videos before, he's uh, part of the group organizing that one. Uh, it'll be on uh, next Sunday, uh, 7 p.m. They, they'll be doing the qualifying. It's going to be in the, the Indy Lights cars, the um, Indy Pro 2000. I think that's the name of that car um lots lower than the delara ir18 um give you a comparison you know qualifying speeds for the delara ir18 in the open wheels 500 was uh 231 miles an hour or about uh 38.8 seconds and this car is like you're basically averaging 160 miles an hour and going at a lap speed of like 56 seconds or so and so it's going to be a lot slower. It's going to be very, very draft-heavy, and uh, it's going to be fixed setup uh, for the race, so don't have to worry about the setup. Just you know, go out there and drive the car. So um, shouldn't be as challenging, but um, still, though, with a uh, fixed setup and that slow of a car, um, be a pretty tight, pretty tight field. And they're saying that uh, the the rules to get in is the, you know the top 25 are going to qualify. Uh, on time and then the remaining five will have like a last chance qual or the last five spots are going to be decided by a, a last chance qualifier like 15 lap uh, heat race I think and uh, they just announced today that uh, Oliver Askew the uh, former or now former driver from uh, Aero McLaren Spam Motorsports is going to be in uh, putting an entry into this one so be interesting to potentially uh, be racing a Indy Lights car in iRacing against a current Indy car driver. So uh, it'll be interesting to see and uh, hopefully we'll get in and uh, we'll we'll draft up a GSP scheme for uh, for that and um, uh, should, it should be an interesting event. Uh, and you can, it'll be on, I think it'll be on YouTube, uh, racingnation.tv, uh, where you can go and watch that. So should be an interesting one uh, to watch. Uh, and again, next Sunday, uh, November 22nd, 7 o'clock p.m. All right, so definitely uh, follow Josh on the sim exploits. I'm, I need to follow. I need to watch some of your racing. I need to be able to announce it. It'd be funny. We could go and record it and maybe use that as a 
thing for an episode just to go and get my chops going again. I love announcing. One of my favorite things was announcing when we would play Madden or other games and announce like uh, acting like I was an analyst and trying to make my friends laugh while they're trying to play. Um, Definitely wouldn't try to distract you like that, but I love racing and announcing be good to go and watch that. Uh, Josh is really good at what he does, not only here on the show, but also in the sim game. So uh, definitely follow him on, on all his socials. You can follow me on Twitter at Philip G. Matthew. Uh, at GripStripPod is the uh, show Twitter handle. Uh, guilty of not utilizing it as much as I should. Uh, we'll definitely be getting better with that. Um, as I stabilize some things, there's uh, a lot of things that are going good outside of the show and other possibilities, other opportunities I could make. Um, not only the Gripship podcast and you know, for our, both of us, but other things can go off that uh, could uh, let us grow. Um, I work with uh, George House in uh, the Grid Talk, F1 Grid Talk podcast on his uh, website, Sportlight, for writing. I'm also part of Last Out Media, uh, Philly-based uh, website, uh, doing motorsports coverage trying to get some uh, collaborations going with some of the people that cover motorsports there, along with other places, not only Twitter, but on Facebook, facebook.com slash Philip G. Matthew. I'm probably going to start working on getting the shows on YouTube here, if not before the end of Formula One season, I think, for 2021 to expand our reach. Uh, Look for that. Any option, anything that you'd like to see or anybody you'd want us to try to go and chase uh, in regards to an interview or or things you want to hear about, because uh, we're probably going to do a lot of history. We're going to go do some throwbacks as we go through the off season because we're not going to stop. I figure at least once a week, go and talk just to bench race. I think would be good and good for the soul for sure. Um, with that, uh, for Josh, I'm Phil. Uh, you have a good uh, day, evening, night, whenever, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, take care of yourself and your family, your loved ones, all your friends. Wear a mask, social distance, um, and uh, be good to one another. Take care. Good night.